The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Lloyd, we have a fabulous show today. It's about awakened wisdom. And the author of this book that I have sitting right here and right in front of me is Patrick J. Ryan. His book is called Awakened Wisdom, A Guide to Reclaiming Your Brilliance. And I got a kick out of the, uh, right on the front cover, there is a testimonial by Marcy Shimoff, who was just on our show talking about love for no reason. And um, here's what she says. She says, Patrick's profound yet practical models undo the belief that there is something out there to be, to be found to complete us. Awakened Wisdom helps readers quickly connect with their own heart intelligent intelligence and what it really means to be human. So this is this is going to be a wonderful interview. And let me tell you a little bit about Patrick's background. Patrick Ryan died from a drug overdose in his late teens only to be revived with a new understanding of the divine. As a Buddhist monk in Burma, which is now Myanmar, he practiced the path of awakened living, according to the Buddhist philosophy, and he's also studied indigenous wisdoms with a variety of teachers. And his number one best-selling book, Awakened Wisdom, blends that Buddhist, native, and collective wisdoms into a beautifully crafted healing message for all of us in our modern culture. He works, his work focuses on questions of personal effectiveness and leadership, and he powerfully integrates his rich life experiences with some ancient teachings. And he does some wonderful things. In fact, he leads vision quests to many different places. He is going to be, for example, um, coming up in June, he is going to be in Turkey leading a vision quest. And maybe he can tell us a little bit about that. But he has he's up in Northern California and he is going to tell us some wonderful things about what he's learned. You can learn more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com, where we have his picture and his bio and the URL that leads to his website, but also at awakenedwisdom.com. Thank you so much, Patrick, for joining us. My pleasure, Mari. It's a great uh, privilege to be here. Patrick, so why don't you tell us about the the near-death experience that you had when you were a teenager? Yes, well, um, 
That was quite a while ago, at the risk of dating myself. I was a teenager back in the early 70s and uh, had been brought up in a classic leave-it-to-beaver, idyllic kind of lifestyle and upbringing. And even with all of that on my side as a teenager, I still managed to find myself finding all kinds of trouble. And one of the um, realms of exploration for me was the world of drugs. And uh, quite accidentally, I found myself in the experience of a drug overdose one day. Mm. And the uh, and and in that experience, my heart stopped beating. I stopped breathing. Uh, I was, for all uh, you know, essential purposes, dead. And luckily, there was somebody there that could do CPR in my body at the same time. And I had this amazing encounter with the divine. I don't even know really to this very day how to fully articulate it, except to say that what I took away from the experience was that, first of all, the prevailing energy of this universe is love and joy. And the other thing I took away from that is that sense of oneness, that we are, we are all of one. The humans, the four-legged, the winged ones, the forest, the mountains, the entire universe, that we are just one. And and from the human side of our experience, it can be challenging sometimes to really get the full truth of that. It's a very experiential thing that I really hope everybody has a time in their life when they manage to drop into the visceral experience of that oneness, because there's something about that that challenges our mind to fully be able to understand. You know, Patrick, I have to ask you, because I had a cousin who died and came back, she was, um, she had a baby, and then she she literally bled to death. They left her by mistake, and she bled to death, and then they, they got her and revived her, and she had this experience of just kind of like going really fast through her life, and then seeing this gentleman that was a family friend who had died kind of like sitting on a fire hydrant, and he told her, go back, go back, it's not your time, go back. You know, I mean, she had a very, very vivid experience like that. So I, I, I've read so much about, you know, near-death experiences and what people experience. I just wondered if you remember, um, was it vivid for you when you had that experience or was it more just kind of like vague? No, I have a very, um, many, many layers of, of vivid memory of the experience. At one layer of it, I was... Like it was as if I was high above the building that I was in, and I could look down and I could see what was going on, not just in the room where I was, but I could see what was going on in other rooms of the building. I could, I, I was aware of conversations that people were having in other rooms of the building. Mm. One of the things when I came back into my body was I had mentioned to a couple of people about the conversations they were having, and and, and you can imagine how stunning that was to them. At another layer of the experience, it, I had a, um, there, there appeared to my consciousness the faces of hundreds of people. And it included family and people that I knew, but there were, there were many faces of people that I had not met in this lifetime. Hmm. 
and I can't explain wh- why those faces or who those people were, except to say that they were just occurring to me. And at another level of that experience, it seemed that all the time of the past and all the time of the present were here as one. It's like linear time doesn't exist in that realm. Wow. And so, so everything that has ever happened, not just in the history of my life, but everything that has passed, I was present and aware of. And, and there was so much that happened in, in the linear earth time of, I don't even know, maybe two, three, four minutes. But in that realm again, as I said, there is no reference to time in that way. So, you know, I think for me to imagine creating a slideshow of all those faces, that might, that might take weeks to experience. And yet in, in that, in the essence of that experience, it was all just there. And then I also had this sense of what I call the divine, and 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 and, the, and that was the source of this field of love and compassion. And the message that I got was that I was able to choose to return or to not return. And somehow I got the understanding from that because it wasn't like a typical conversation, as you can imagine, where we're exchanging words. Right. I was just kind of imbued with this understanding that we're all on uh, what I call a developmental journey in this lifetime. That's the opportunity of this lifetime. And that I had not completed my journey. And so if I chose to return, then I had the opportunity to further develop that journey. Or if I chose not to return, then what I took away from it is, and and I'm probably putting some of my own uh, thinking into this, is that at some point I would have to come into this life to fulfill that journey in any event. And that I was fortunate that my body was in a state that it could take me back, because that's not always true for people. Right. So you had been hanging around with these kids that were doing drugs. (laughs) And um, so... So when you got back into your body and you you were revived and you had a chance to think it through, did you just change friends? I mean, what what happened in your life then? I mean, the people that you were with were on a different path, right? Completely turned my life upside down. I I had uh, this happened in about 1972, and and I had never heard of a near death experience. I actually call this a death experience. Mm-hmm. I, I had never heard of the concept before. There was no one I could talk to about it. Uh, I I in in the in the troubled way that I was living at that time, I didn't trust the relationship that I had with my family to go to them, and the friends that I did trust were the ones that were supporting the drug lifestyle, and I came away from that experience, experience really clear that I was done with that. Right. So I uprooted myself, and I moved into the Rocky Mountains in Canada and spent the next year of my life. I got a job in a small town in the forests of the Rocky Mountains, and I spent the next year of my life essentially just healing and wandering through the forest and, and opening up the relationship between myself and this universe through my experience with the forest and nature. So how is it that you ended up as a Buddhist monk? Well, I wasn't a Buddhist monk at that time. I actually went on to become an entrepreneur, and for, the, for the, about 20, 25 years after that, I 
created a lot of businesses and uh, really enjoyed that that adventure and excitement of creating businesses. And then after about 20, 25 years of that, I woke up one day and I felt this strong calling to go to Asia. So I, I didn't know why. I had no plan. I just bought a one-way ticket to Bangkok and I jumped on a plane and off I went. And the one promise I made to myself on that trip was that I was going to follow my intuition every single day. I would not work from a plan, but just follow my intuition every single day. And that took me from Bangkok to Burma. I found myself at the gates of a monastery in Burma, walked in, introduced myself. They graciously invited me to stay with them as a layperson, which I did for a while. I promised them that I'd be gone in about 10 days, and I just wanted the chance to meditate and observe their lifestyle. But one thing led to another, and I kept extending my stay and extending my stay. And then one day, the man who became my teacher, his title was the Sayada, the Sayada came to me and said that, in his view, he felt that it was time for me to ordain and become a Buddhist monk. And at first, I really resisted the idea, because it just seemed too out of out of my box of, of uh, what I could step into, but it really opened up the door of curiosity. And uh, once I slept on that for a little while, I woke up one day and I thought, why not? I'll, I'll, I'll jump into this adventure. And so I did, and I ordained and became a Buddhist monk and spent a year in Burma on the most amazing adventure through the back areas of that country. Hmm. So you really did that for about a year, is that what you're saying? And then what after that? Well, after that, I felt it was time to leave the monastery. And there was actually three, three times I felt it was time to leave the monastery. And the first two times I went to my teacher and I said, I think it's time for me to go now. And from that very unattached uh, Buddhist way, he said, well, you can go if you want. But he said in his view, he felt there was something still for me there. So twice I postponed my leaving. On the third time, I had a very profound experience. And on the other side of that experience, he actually came to me. I didn't even tell him about it yet. He actually summoned me to come to meet with him. And he looked at me, and there was this look in his eye like he really knew I'd, he knew more about what I had just experienced than I did, I think. And he said, okay, he says, now you're complete. If you want to leave, this, this is the time. And so I did, and I, and I went wandering around India and Nepal for several months after that, just as a way of slowly reorienting myself to the life of a lay person in the planet. And uh, then after, uh, after that, I came back to North America and landed in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, from there, I took up coaching as a profession because it seemed to be a great way for me to blend what I was learning about the spiritual experience of being human with what I was learning about the entrepreneurial experience of being human. And the entrepreneurial experience for me is really a journey of creativity. Hmm. And so you talk about, you know, the name of your book is, you know, Awakened Wisdom. So what does it mean to live an awakened life? Hmm. Yeah, the, the book, uh, I've been blessed over the years besides the... Um, trainings I received as a Buddhist monk. My, my teacher in Burma was actually more of a shaman than he was a classic Buddhist uh, mm. monk. And so he shared with me a lot of the uh, shamanic ways that had been passed down from his grandfathers to him, and, and I felt blessed that he opened that world up to me. 
and I've studied with other indigenous teachers around Indonesia and Central America and North America, and um, so I wrote this book with the influence of all of these different teachings. And the idea of being awakened, for me, is a paradox, that there is within us, in every moment, there is that awakened essence within us, that highest aspect of who we are. And we spend most of this life learning how to drop the veils of separation that keep us from from the full realization of that awakened nature of ours, but it's always right there. And so as we remember how to reconnect to our own wisdom and to reconnect to the oneness of this world, then we, in that way, we facilitate our awakening. And so in the book, I came up with what I call the eight states of an awakened life. And the idea of the eight states of an awakened life is that when people have all eight of these states, polished and vibrant and brightened in their life, then they're living their life in a really good way. And paradoxical to that is the process of awakening is one that I would say is more accidental than intentional. But when you live your life in a good way, you, you kind of stack the odds in your favor of experiencing awakening moments. But the fact of the matter is that nobody can facilitate somebody else's awakening. So this is our own work that each of us has to engage in. And for some of us, we might have an experience at a very young stage in life where we awaken to a, to a certain level. And for others of us, it might be on our deathbed in that last moment when we finally see through the veils and go, oh, that's it. Hmm. So... It seems to me that if we're, if we want to have an intention to feel that oneness, to really feel what you're talking about, to know that, that divine oneness with everything that you, that you felt that you underwent yourself, which, which you, which we would strive for in our lives. It seems to me if we have that intention, then we would take on opportunities to find ways to practice whatever it is to get to that point, whether it's meditation or prayer or something. I mean, it it feels to me, at least from many of my friends and acquaintances, that we are trying to get onto that. I mean, we, we have an intention to get on that path of higher consciousness where we feel that oneness, we feel that harmony, we feel that, that true essence. So, but you're, but what I think I heard you say is that even if you have that intention, it doesn't happen like that. You can't teach it. But you can't schedule it. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and, 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 and so intention is such a such a amazing concept to play with. And I, a good state of intention is one of the eight states in my book. And so to intend to live your life in a good way. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is that we all have our personal value systems. But when I looked at what I found was a consistent indication of being awake amongst my teachers, there's a couple threads that I could see that they shared. One was that 
they were really interested in creating beauty in the world. There was something about the creation of beauty that supported people opening up to their highest nature. And the other thing was that from every thought, word, and action that came through them, there was a life-giving energy as opposed to a diminishing energy. Mm. Energies like judgment, criticism, doubting, and fear, those are diminishing energies. Right. But, but energies like appreciation for, for other is a life-giving energy. Mm-hmm. And so that, that has a lot to do with it. But so the, so to the state that intention motivates us to live in a, in a better way to the uh, extent that intention points our toes in a good direction, that's beautiful. And then intention at some point becomes an impediment. When we start using intention as a way of grasping for something, now it starts working against us. And so there's a really interesting balance with intention to keep us open and, and available, but not to have it become the, the attachment now that we have to getting something. Right. So you've, I see these, these eight states. You've got the good state of understanding. And so should, can we go through those eight? I know you have it throughout the book, in the book, but yep. let's go quickly through these eight states of an awakened wheel. Because if you are in that state, then really resolving differences and perceptions doesn't have to lead to escalated conflict. Exactly right. It's accepting the other person for who they are and accepting yourself for who you are without having it turn into anger, resentment, and escalated conflict. Exactly. When people are living these eight states, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that conflict would never happen, but I would say that if you're living these eight states... Conflict is going to be a stranger in your life. And, and conflict, it, from my perspective as one who teaches conflict resolution, is conflict in and of itself is not really bad. It, if, it's only bad if it turns into a fight. Conflict is really a way to, the way I perceive it is, a conflict means that I'm perceiving something that then you're different from you, and it's causing some glitch, Okay. So when you and I discuss it and have a greater understanding of each other, we can create something better from conflict. From that crisis, there is a growth, just like the Chinese word for crisis is made up of danger and opportunity, that that, that conflict creates an opportunity for, for change and, and growth. So Exactly right. So yeah. I don't really see conflict itself as bad only escalated and dangerous conflict but but just regular perception difference that i see as a conflict um is not is not dangerous by itself so it's just what you remind me of is um you know if you look at the orbit of the moon and the earth there's a tension between them where they hold each other in this orbit and it's like the moon keeps looking over at the earth and the earth looks over at the moon. And it's the tension between them that holds them in their orbit. And without that, they fly apart or crash into each other. Mm. But there's, there's something beautiful about that tension. And what you, what you mentioned that I love in, in the whole approach to the idea of conflict is use the word understanding. And, and to me, this is one of the most important things. And one of the states is called a good state of understanding. And there's, there's, 
more to say about that than we'd have time for here, but essentially when people are living in a more awakened state, then they're less positioned and they're more curious, they're more open, and there's an understanding of the plurality of truths, that there's never one truth that we need to agree upon, but rather there's a variety of truths, and we can align around some organizing principle in the middle of that. And when people that, then uh, I found that the um, distorted side of conflict tends to dissipate and go away. Yes. So we've gone through the good state of understanding, the good state of intention. The next one is words. Good. Words. Yeah. yeah, words. You know, we all, we all know when I say that words are a powerful creative force, we all know that. Yes. And yet at the same time, I would say that every one of us has a lot of room to improve in, in our practice of the use of words. So any time that we engage in words of separation where we say it's me versus you, us versus them, then we're actually using our words to create separation between us. And the more that our words evoke an energy of beauty, the more our words bring life-giving energy through, and the more we learn how to speak in a way that reflects the oneness that there is amongst us all, then, then that becomes the result of our words. Yes. Our words are very powerful. And, you know, in negotiations, when I teach negotiations here at UCI, and one of the things I teach them is reframing. So if somebody says, this is a real problem, you come back and you say, this is a challenge. <laughs> exactly. It reframes it to a positive, because when you think of problem, it's negative energy. But when you think of a challenge, it's something you can overcome. So, you know, so, yeah, so we have a whole list of positive words that we work on. You know, we, I, I'd like to just ask you, because I know you and I talked before we started, that you had done some work with the Palestinians and the Israelis. Why don't you talk about, talk about the tension that you were just talking about and reminded me. Tell us a little bit about that work. Sure. Well, that, that work was sprung from, um, from a route of doing vision quest work, where I take people out into the desert, usually for a week at a time, and we go through a process of vision questing, and there's a, there's a lot to say about that. So I was invited to come to Israel and to take some Israeli people out for a vision quest experience in the desert. And, you know, in this amazing universe, uh, there were some other friends of mine that were Palestinian that lived outside of Israel in some Arabic, uh, nearby Arabic countries. And uh, when they heard about the experience, they called me one day and they said, hey, do you mind if we come and join you on your desert experience in Israel? And I didn't even think about it. I just said, yeah, of course, why not? And I hung up the phone and I thought, oh, what did I just create? <laughs> and so I called up my Israeli friends. And uh, I have to say they didn't hesitate for a second. It just, they were, they were so overjoyed at the possibility of being able to meet some Palestinians that were willing to come in and meet with them in a good way and to have this experience together. And so off we went into the desert. And three days after we're out there, there's an ex-Israeli soldier and an ex-Palestinian militant gentleman. 
and they, I come walking around a corner in the desert, come walking around from behind some rocks. I didn't know they were there. They didn't know I was behind them. And I overheard one of those men say to the other, I'm now starting to fall in love with you. Aww. And in that second, I just felt like, wow, this is the highest and best use of this moment that I could ever imagine. Oh, that is just wonderful. Well, we this is a must-read, Awakened Wisdom, A Guide to Reclaiming Your Brilliance by Patrick Ryan. Patrick, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to speak to you, and we really honor all the great work that you're doing. And gosh, some of, the, that, some of those quests sound like a lot of uh, great opportunities to, to grow and really get to that higher consciousness. So thank you so much. Thank you, Mari, and thank you for the great work that you're creating in the world as well. Okay, we'll be talking to you soon. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. And please visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us about what your concerns are or what your ideas are about healing conflict in our world. Thank you. Expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.